Hello, and welcome back to this special podcast series on beating the midlife spread. In this series, which was originally offered as a live workshop, Monica Reinagel and I are sharing our best research-backed advice for fine-tuning your nutrition, fitness, and lifestyle so that you can remain strong, healthy, and active through midlife and beyond. The resources and related materials that you'll hear us mention are available on the series webpage, which you can access at wayless.life slash midlife. That's wayless.life slash midlife. Now, in this episode, we're going to focus on how we need to tweak our diet and nutrition during midlife. Here we go. Let's jump into some of the key adjustments that I want you to think about as you get older, as we move into and through and beyond midlife. What do we need to do about our diet? So there are a lot of ways in which the aging process affects our nutrition needs, but I'm going to focus on just a couple because these are the ones that I think are going to have the biggest impact. So, okay, I'm the bad queen of bad news tonight. So (laughs) one of the reasons that we see this midlife spread is that our calorie needs tend to decrease as we go through life. Okay. We're just using less energy. And if we keep on eating the way we've always eaten, the way we're used to eating, the way we've developed habits, we keep serving ourselves the portions that we're used to seeing on our plate and our calorie needs are going down, the weight gain will be the result of that. Okay. The question is, why? Why are our calorie needs decreasing? And there's a couple of different reasons. One reason often is that we've gotten less active. We're just using less energy as we go through our day. Mm-hmm. And you know, regardless of what you may or may not be doing for 30 minutes or 60 minutes every day in the gym or in your home or on your Peloton or whatever, yeah. it's easy as we settle into our careers and all of our other responsibilities for all the rest of our life to become increasingly sedentary. The way we use our leisure time, the way we hang out with our friends, um, you know, the, the kinds of vacations that we take, just the habits that we have, we find ourselves getting increasingly still as we get older. Some of this is what we see around us and what we kind of lapse into by habit and by example. That's something that we can we can change. Another reason that our calorie needs tend to decrease is age-related loss of muscle tissue. And the medical term for that is sarcopenia. And I know a lot of you guys are already on this page. Our muscle, lean muscle tissue declines as we go. Um, really, it starts, it peaks usually when we're 30. It, it levels off and maybe dips a little bit. By the time we get to 50, it really starts declining much more quickly. And this is a problem. <laughs> but we start losing muscle. We start losing bone. We, you know, it just, it's a bad scene. So the question is, why are we losing muscle mass so much faster? Some of it, again, disuse. We're not using those muscles and you don't use a muscle, you lose it. And I'm going to leave that for Brock to talk about later. I want to tell you about the other reason we're losing muscle, anabolic resistance. How many of you are familiar with this term? You've probably heard the term insulin resistant. Have you, are you familiar with that? And that's, of course, when the body becomes less sensitive to the effects of insulin, the hormone in our body that normally would clear uh, blood sugar out of our blood and into our muscles. So insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance, I think, is something people are familiar with. Anabolic resistance is kind of similar. It's when the body becomes less responsive to the effects of protein, specifically on muscle protein synthesis. So let me just take a minute here and, and explain what this is about. When we take in dietary protein, 
when we eat, when we eat protein, <laughs> sorry, stop talking like a nutritionist. When we eat protein foods, one of the things that our body does with that protein is muscle protein synthesis. It uses it to build muscle tissue, not just, you know, biceps, all the muscles in our body. And it's repairing and it's just replacing, remodeling, you know, it's constantly kind of rebuilding the muscle tissue, replacing the old stuff with new stuff. That's all muscle protein synthesis. And that, so, so that happens when we eat protein and it's dose dependent, meaning the more protein you take in at a meal, the more muscle protein synthesis you get to a point. Then you get to a cap where more protein doesn't create more muscle protein synthesis. It's just extra. The body will use that protein for energy for other things, but it's not going to use it to make muscle protein synthesis, to make muscle. Okay. So when you're 20, you can hit that ceiling, that maxing of muscle protein synthesis with a 20, 25 gram serving of protein. That's like a really little, little piece of chicken breast or something like that. And you're maxed out. By the time you're 50, it can take a third more. It may take you 30, 35 grams of protein to get the same effect. So the takeaway here is we're going to have to consume more protein as we age just to, just to hold steady, just to keep from falling behind. We need more protein to do the same work. Now, this is really important because it may change. I hope it will change the way you think about and plan your meals around protein. And I'm going to give you three guidelines to help put this into place for you. But before you get nervous here, I don't want you to run screaming from the room because these are not three hard and fast things that you must do in order to survive. Think of this as aspirational. Get as close as you can to as many as you can, as often as you can. Because every little bit hurt helps. <laughs> every little bit hurts. So the first one is aim for 80 to 100 grams of protein per day. That's almost twice or twice what you've probably been told is your protein requirement. And this is based on the latest research on what we need to do to prevent that age-related muscle loss. And I know you don't think in grams of protein the way I do. In your resources, I'm giving you a protein cheat sheet that you can look up and see how many grams of protein are in all the things that you are probably getting your protein from. Chicken breast, salmon, steak, black beans, tofu, edamame, peanut butter, whatever, however you're getting your protein. It's just a list and it'll tell you how many grams. So you can see how they're stacking up and you can mix and match and stack them. But if you can get close to 80 or 100 grams per protein, some days, as many days as you can manage, that's going to go a long way. And if you are not averse to consuming animal foods, if you're not a vegan, in the ideal possible world, half of that will come from animal sources. doesn't necessarily have to be meat. It can be dairy products. It can be eggs. It can be fish um, or poultry or meat or anything. But the animal sources have a higher biological value. We get better muscle protein synthesis from animal proteins than we do from plant-based proteins. So if that's okay with you, um, ideologically, Put that in your hopper. See if you can get half of that from animal sources. The second guideline is you want to try to get a 30-gram dose at least once a day if you can. And the rationale here is that you want to get that maximum mo muscle protein synthesis at least once a day if you can, most days. So if, if 30 grams of protein is all you can eat over the course of the day, don't spread it all out and have five for breakfast and five for a snack and five for lunch and five in the afternoon have it all together at one meal so that you can at least get one good hit of muscle protein synthesis 
every day. And again, you'll see on the cheat sheet what that takes. It's not huge. Okay. It's again, it's like a three or four ounce serving of, of meat. You're going to have to eat a little bit more of other sources to get that much. But again, see if you can get close to that once a day, most days. Now, the third one may sound a little counterintuitive, and that is, okay, so don't eat more than 30 grams at one sitting because, or 30, 35, right? Because at that point, you've maxed out and you're wasting that muscle protein opportunity that you could be getting at a different meal. So, so you know, don't eat a whole lot more than 30 grams at one sitting. Save that for another meal. So in today's modern chicken breasts are huge. They are six to eight ounces of, you know, solid protein. That is 60 or 80 grams of protein right there. So you wouldn't want to eat a whole giant chicken breast at one meal because you could eat half of it and then save the other half for breakfast the next morning and get two hits of muscle protein synthesis instead of just one. And there's nothing wrong with eating chicken for breakfast. So those are my three guidelines, but let me just stop for some questions. I see a couple here in the chat. If you have questions specifically about this protein issue, um, does that number apply regardless of a person's gender and size? Stephanie, that's a great question. And, you know, I've given you kind of um, uh, a range there. So if you're small and women are usually smaller, then, then 80 might be a good goal for you. If you're a guy, you might be able to get to 100, 110 because it kind of depends on how much you eat. I mean, you can't eat 80% of your calories as protein, right? So we're going to have to, we're going to be limited there. Um, so it does matter a little bit. I'm trying to give, I'm trying to make, keep it easy and just give you kind of a ballpark. But that's also why we don't need to get out an atomic scale here to weigh things, you know, just get close. But I want you to be thinking in terms of these principles that you probably need a little more protein. You want to get some of it in a good dose but not more than you can actually make use of. And somebody will usually ask a very good question. It's like, okay, so how far apart do the two doses, sorry for calling a meal a dose. I know that's obnoxious, but you know what I mean. How far apart do your two doses have to be? About two hours would be enough to kind of reset that muscle protein synthesis clock. So if you could spread that out a little bit, but does the, does the theory make sense? Uh, Linda, why does 30 grams at one time give a bigger hit than um, then 30 grams spread out. No, it's not that the dose overcomes the resistance. It's just that the way the body uses protein to build muscle, it, it is dose dependent, but then it kind of reaches a limit where it's reached its maximum synthesis rate. And so the resistance just has to do with what that level is. We become a little more resistant. We have to go further before we hit, before we hit that maximum rate. And there's okay. going to be a sort of a common theme running through a lot of this stuff. Like if you've been following Nutrition Diva and, and Get Fit Guy, you'll notice that a lot of the time we dig into these scientific facts and we look at all these studies and stuff and they give these really specific <clears throat> prescriptions for like this amount of weight and this amount of exercise in this exact condition and, and stuff. But you have to remember that all of those things were done in a lab, usually with college age athletes or right. students and stuff. And all those really specific prescriptions are, they really are just, just for a very specific situation in a lab with very specific people. And we can sort of, we can learn from that. We can definitely use those numbers, but we don't have to be extra precise. We don't have to be doing the scientifically proven amount of every single thing, getting nearly close enough and in the ballpark is really 
absolutely all we need to be worrying about. So please don't get stressed out and, and hung up on that stuff. Think of this as a dartboard. Who's played darts before? Like you can win a lot of points by getting a bullseye, but you can win a game without ever hitting a bullseye just by consistently getting like a reasonable place on the board rather than hitting one bullseye and the rest of them go into the wall next to the dartboard. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good yeah. point. All right. Super quick. If we're going to eat more protein, something else is going to have to make room for that. If, if our concern is that we're starting to spread or we want to, you know, stop the spread or reverse the spread. That means we can't just add things to to our diet. Something else is going to have to go to make room for that, right? And when you're looking for where to look to to cut back, I would suggest one, one good place to look is in your starch foods, potatoes, bread, pasta, rice, all of those things. You don't need to eliminate them, but the portions may be larger than they need to be and adjusting those down um, I don't know what they look like now, but for a lot of plates that I see, they could literally be cut in half, you know, and that's going to make room for some of those extra protein calories. And as a bonus, the protein calories are going to keep you full longer than those starches would mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so that's one place to look. If, if your plate looks too empty, fill it in with extra vegetables. Another place to look, um, alcohol, alcoholic beverages <gasps> is another place where I know where a lot of calories tend to stack up often without realizing it. They don't make us feel any fuller. They don't make us eat any less. In fact, sometimes they make us eat more. And alcohol has a, a, a sort of a creeping quality. If you've been enjoying alcoholic beverages throughout your adult life, it's very common for your intake to slowly increase. So you may in your you know, earlier life been having, you know, a drink two or three times a week and now it's every night. Or maybe it was one glass of wine and now it's two or three glasses of wine. You're not alone. It's very, very common. But that dub, that slow, you don't even, so slow, you don't even notice it, creeping up of the frequency and the amount of alcohol that you're drinking can double, triple, quadruple the number of calories you're taking in from alcohol till they're taking up. It is not hard for alcohol to be consuming 25% of your calorie budget. You're not even thinking about it. You're not even seeing it. So if you're looking for a, a place to, uh, to hold back the, the spread or a place to make room for a little bit more protein, that's another place to look. And the last place I would suggest that you look is just at your treats, your discretionary calories. And this is, you way less people know we're not about a treatless existence because mm-hmm. life is way too short. But I want to invite you to trade quantity for quality. So that means you want to make your treats maybe a little smaller, maybe a little less frequent or some combination of those things, but make them better. Hold out for the good stuff. Make them count. Spend a little money on that chocolate. You know? And, do and not that- eat it over the sink or at your desk. <laughs> So, so treat yourself better is a little catchphrase that we have in the, in the Way Less program, and that's what that refers to. So those are just some places to maybe do a little audit on your dietary habits to be looking for like, oh, where's, where's all this coming from? It's like, well, I have a couple ideas. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And just really quickly, I don't have a lot to add to the diet stuff, but I know a, a lot of you are probably in one of two situations where you have kids at home or you have kids that have left home. And sometimes both of those situations can create situations where we're eating a little bit more than, than we ought to. And in some of it is maybe your, your child didn't finish what's on their plate. So you make yourself into the human garburator that cleans up the stuff because you don't want to waste food. Well, 
that is an insane solution to the earth's problem of, of food waste. Making yourself into a garbage disposal is not helping the planet. It's just, <laughs> it's just sacrificing your overall goals. And on the other side, if your children have moved out of the house and you're still cooking the same amount as, as you did before, you could be eating more than you need to at that point or creating a lot of extra food in the house. So make sure that you're looking at your situation as being sort of flexible and malleable. And I hear the the sort of refrain of, you know, I'm just used to cooking this much. Well, you know what? You can get used to cooking less. It's okay. Like this is, like I said before, the midlife reinvention or reboot is the perfect time to to reassess your entire diet and your cooking and uh, and all of that stuff. And also, don't uh, it, it, I think it's really tempting for a lot of us to, when we don't have other people to cook for, to fall back on the sort of easy pre-made packaged kind of stuff. And, you know, you're better than that. You're worth more than that. Just because your kids are gone doesn't mean that you're worthless and you don't deserve a good meal that you've put some time and energy into. So remember that yeah. just because you're not cooking for other people, it's uh, you can focus on yourself. Yep, Robert's ratifying what you're saying. Recent empty nesters still cooking like we have a full family. Then you yep. don't want to waste it. All right. In the next episode, we're going to talk about how you want to adjust your fitness and your movement routines as you reach midlife in order to get the best results. But first, we want to invite you to take a few minutes to think about how you can implement the information that Monica has just shared. Take a look at the protein cheat sheet and think about how you may want to adjust your current meals to make the best use of your protein and optimize muscle protein synthesis. There are several related podcast episodes you may want to check out on how nutrition needs change as we get older. And then, when you're ready, we will meet you in the very next episode to talk about fitness and movement. We hope you're enjoying this special podcast series on beating the midlife spread as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. And we hope you'll continue to tune in to the Change Academy podcast for more of our strategies on creating positive, sustainable change. And of course, the Nutrition Diva and Upgraded Fitness podcasts for more on those topics. And if you'd like more support in beating the midlife spread, consider joining us in the Way Less program. This is our year-long group coaching program where we help you create the mindset, habits, and lifestyle that lead to weighing less without dieting, no matter how old you are. You can learn more about joining our next group on our website at wayless.life.